0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store.
1: Exciting days, exciting days. It's an exciting day. Welcome. I'm glad you are all here if you're visiting with us. I am Pastor Pat Visger. It's my joy and pleasure to have you here with us, worshiping today and being part of our service I will be uh, speaking to you, but just briefly this morning, because my partner in ministry, uh, my wonderful wife and pastor here, Julie, will be uh, also coming up to give a word this morning. So I'm going to just set the stage, if you will. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about something in your memory not too far ago, not that long ago. Think back to November the 8th, 2016. Remember that day? That was election day. Now you're probably thinking, oh, this is what I wasn't I didn't expect this. This is not how you start a Resurrection Sunday message. But I want you to think back to that day election day, and just ask yourself, you know, in your own mind and heart, what were you expecting? I don't bring this up to make any political statement. No political statement at all, but it's an example. It's an example of how sometimes we may have wrong expectations. The expectations of countless people... They were upended, weren't they, on November the 8th? What happened? To many people, it was the unimaginable. They looked forward to something with such certainty. And, of course, that happens usually every election cycle. Each side is looking forward to something with such certainty. But on one side, their expectations are really turned around. And when we look forward to something with such certainty, sometimes our expectations become our reality. And when they don't turn out, the world just gets flipped. Now, many didn't expect what occurred on election day. And some are still in denial. But the reality of what actually happened cannot be denied. And so it was. So it was with Jesus' resurrection. And I think if we, I know we can all go back to certain days where our expectations were not met. Think about what happened to us and how our reality, something we projected out into reality, Suddenly, it wasn't to be. And this happened with Jesus' death, and it happened with his resurrection. What were people expecting of Jesus when he came into Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday, just a few days before he would be arrested and ultimately crucified, there was an adoring crowd they shouted, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jerusalem and the Jewish people had long been expecting their Messiah. And about Messiah, Messiah, in Greek that's Christos, the Christ, the Savior, about this Messiah, which literally means anointed one, what was expected? Well, generally, there was two things that were expected of the Messiah, this, this great Savior that was anticipated by the Jewish people, and two things they were looking for, the Son of God and King of Israel. And that's how Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, As God and king, his closest followers thought the same. When Andrew first met Jesus, he ran and he got his brother Peter and he said, Peter, I want you to come and meet this person. I found the Messiah. When Nathanael met Jesus, he said, teacher, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. What did the welcoming crowd expect of this God King? They expected a king that would restore the kingdom of Israel, their nation to be restored, free the people from bondage that they were experiencing under the Roman occupiers. And some of Jesus' closest companions expected exactly the same thing of Messiah, of the God King. And just days before he was arrested, some of Jesus' closest disciples, they said, Lord, when are you going to restore your kingdom? Now, these expectations of an earthly king, it struck fear into the hearts of the the Jewish ruling class. If what the people expected were true... The ruling class would lose their power. And if what the people expected was false, if Jesus were an imposter, well, the people might riot, there might be some kind of uprising, Rome would get agitated and punish the Jewish rulers. It was a lose-lose situation. So the Jewish leaders, they plotted to eliminate Jesus. Jesus was arrested. He was charged with crimes against the the Jewish religion, and he was charged with crimes against the uh, Roman laws. And when the Roman governor, Pilate, interrogated Jesus, he asked, he asked, okay, point one. what, what, What were they looking for in the Messiah? So Pilate asked, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. So there he claimed he was a king. Pilate could find no reason to, contem- to condemn Jesus, though. And the Jewish leaders, they wouldn't hear it. They wanted death. So we read in John nineteen seven, the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God, king, son of God. There's the Messiah. There's that Messiah claim. But he wasn't the God king that anyone really expected. The divine mission of King Jesus wasn't about an earthly kingdom. It was about souls. We heard Brother Terry up here talking. It was about love and everlasting life, salvation from the penalty of sin in a kingdom not of this world. And for those that expected Jesus would institute some kind of earthly kingdom, their expectations would be shattered when Jesus was crucified, upended. Their world flipped upside down. But did anyone really expect... What happened next? It seems only Jesus' enemies took seriously his prediction that he would rise from the dead. His enemies then asked Pilate, this Roman governor, to guard the tomb so that Jesus' followers could not uh, steal the body, fake a resurrection. So a Roman guard was dispatched to the tomb, The stone that had been rolled in front of the tomb received an official Roman seal. But despite all of these special precautions, on the morning of the first day of the week, the stone was rolled away. Some women who came to the tomb, they were surprised to see the stone roll away, and they met a man dressed in white who said this. This is Mark chapter 16, 6. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. So this closely guarded tomb was empty. Jesus risen from the dead. And this resurrection of Jesus Christ has become and is a core tenet of our faith. And one of the many proofs of the reality of this resurrection is these very efforts that Jesus' enemies took to make sure his body would stay in the grave and prevent grave robbers. Had they not gone to Pilate and asked for this special guard, there might have been some reasons. There might have been plausible explanation for this empty tomb. But they took these extra steps. The guard was dispatched. So how could they say... The body of Jesus was stolen. The chief priests didn't know what to do. So they paid the guards to spread the lie that the body had been stolen. But the lie did not take root. And they couldn't keep Jesus Christ in the grave. It seems that as, as if Jesus was speaking to them from the empty tomb, saying things like this, all you enemies of the truth, lay your plans Put forth your lies. Go ahead and come up with your conspiracy theories. Bring forward your expectations. Do whatever you can to undermine the resurrection, but you're not going to keep me down. And they couldn't keep him down. And those who can't accept the reality of the resurrection, they continue. They continue to try to bring charges against Jesus' word. They try to impugn the accuracy and the reliability of, of our New Testament. It's been changed so many times. It's been copied. It's been translated. How can we trust this ancient book? How can we trust this New Testament that tells us exactly what I've read to you and exactly what I've related to you this morning? Well, for any old, old, text. For any ancient text, if we have no originals, what do we do? How can we believe any of it? Well, there's two things that can help us. Two things that help us determine the accuracy of something that we have that's so old, and that's the number of copies that we have, and how close those copies are to the actual originals. Now, do we believe everything that's known about Alexander the Great, the the ancient king of Greece? Well, scholars accept everything about Alexander the Great. And what do we have? The earliest biographies of Alexander the Great were written 400 years after his death, yet historians consider them accurate. In 400 years, no legends, no myths, no lies. Do we believe the accounts of the father of history? The father of history, Herodotus. He lived in the 5th century B.C. Scholars accept his work. Yet the earliest manuscript, 1,300 years after he originally wrote it, How does our New Testament stack up? How does this that we go to for our resurrection accounts stack up? There is no other work of antiquity with more manuscript evidence than our New Testament. I mean, the closest is uh, Homer's Iliad. It has 647 existing manuscripts. And what about our New Testament? Well, there's not just hundreds. There are thousands, thousands of copies And they're not 1,300 years from the original. They're not 400 years from the original. There's a portion of John's gospel that was discovered in Egypt. It dates to the early 2nd century. That means within 50 years of the original, it was already circulating in Egypt. The gospels are so accurate and reliable, much more than any ancient secular text They give accurate and reliable accounts of the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. It's undeniable. And if it doesn't fit with uh, secular expectations, there's just more excuses that come. It's like the reality of the November 8th election. Denial, the reality of the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus it can't be denied. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, he put to rest every question about his identity. He was Messiah. He is Messiah, son of God, king of kings. The resurrection is such a cornerstone of our faith that the apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now that's an encapsulation of our faith. If you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, what does that mean? It means you believe everything else about him. You believe he is the son of God. You believe he is the king whose kingdom is not of this world. You believe that he gave his life to pay for your sin. Because you can say, I believe in the resurrection. Paul encapsulated it when he wrote this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. But so many, so many have their thinking mixed up, believing that the Bible is a fairy tale book. They have wrong expectations about God. They have wrong expectations about what comes next. And they need to change their way of thinking and come to terms with this reality of God's truth. Jesus is resurrected and he lives. And until then, they're not saved. They're lost, and they're lost until they reverse their way of thinking.
0: I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It's just foolish to think that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan, that an all-powerful God who brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world is a comforting thought. However, it is only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world with no God, there is freedom to be who I want to be. But with God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. Without God... Everything is fine. It is ridiculous to think that I am lost and in need of saving. And that is how I felt before Christ. Opened my eyes, changed my heart, and reversed my thinking. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think that everything is fine. Without God, life is an endless cycle of guilt and shame. But with God, there is freedom to be who I want to be, In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be. Is a lie meant to make me a slave to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. It is a comforting thought, however, that an all-powerful God brings purpose to the pain and suffering in the world that there is an all-knowing God with a cosmic plan. It's just foolish to think that God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs.
2: Reverse thinking. Jesus does have the power to reverse our natural way of thinking the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead can change the way we think, it can change the way we look at life. I can say, I think very differently now than I did before I knew Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I think many of you here today can say the same thing. By the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, He can change the way we think. He transforms our minds. He renews our minds. And He changes the way we think about life. His Spirit enables us to live with an eternal perspective, thinking about our eternal destiny. Sadly, there are many in the world today that don't think eternally. They don't think about their eternal destination. They may live with the next boat in mind, the next better house, the next better car, maybe the next trip. Not that any of these things are bad, but they're temporary, and we're not to live for them. So many live for the here and now without any thought or concern of what's next after God gives them their last breath here on this earth. And no matter who we are, that day will come for all of us. I remember the day I looked at death as the end. Something to dread. Something that I was really fearful of. But Jesus changed my thinking. I can now say that I live with a great hope and anticipation of seeing Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Scripture is clear to tell us this world is not our permanent home we can live with great anticipation of what's next. Philippians three twenty through 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Because, resurrection power is in Jesus Christ. All who are in him can look forward to being resurrected by his power. And don't glorious bodies sound really good? (laughs) Amen to that. I I think about that every morning when I get out of bed. (laughs) I feel things I never felt before. (laughs) Okay. Scripture also tells us we can't even imagine what's next for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Think about the most beautiful place you can think about. Maybe it's somewhere you've already been. Maybe it's a trip that you're looking forward to maybe it's mountains, maybe it's the beach with a beautiful sunset, maybe it's a tropical garden with flowers and birds singing, maybe it's a tropical forest with beautiful waterfalls, whatever the most beautiful place you can think of, it can't compare to what God has for those who love him. I didn't always think or live my life with an eternal perspective. Living for the here and now was common for me, but the Lord used a very hard situation to change my thinking. From time to time, my husband, Pastor Pat, has mentioned his youngest brother, Matt, died some years ago. It's been 18 years this July. I had a great relationship with my brother-in-law, Matt, I loved him as much as anyone could love their own family. And I knew Matt loved me because he was always concerned about helping me know more about Jesus. Matt had a strong faith. His love and his devotion for Jesus was evident. And he wanted others to know Jesus as well. When I first started dating Pat, I wasn't a Christian. And Pat wasn't quite there himself but that's his story. (laughs) I'm sure he'll share it. (laughs) As Pat and I were growing in faith, Matt and his wife Tammy were very involved in our lives, and we all became very close, as did our children. In fact, Matt and his family lived three houses down from us, which enabled our families to spend much time together. Matt and I had many talks about the Lord, especially during the days where he was too sick to go to work. And those days became quite frequent because Matt got very sick. Just around the time that he was going to become a first father, first time father, to his daughter Krista, Matt was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that was attacking his liver. It was really hard for all of us family to watch Matt grow weaker and weaker, sicker and sicker. But I personally believed. No matter how weak Matt got, no matter how sick he got, I personally believed that Matt would be healed. Well-meaning people told us that the Lord was going to heal Matt. Being fairly new in my faith at the time, I believed them. The moment Matt died, as God would have it, I was with him. When the nurse said he was gone, I didn't believe her. Matt was supposed to be healed. I actually yelled at the nurse and told her that she was wrong. She wasn't wrong. Matt died at 33 years of age. I left the hospital that day with Pat and as we drove home, I was filled with despair, wondering where was God. The days ahead were filled with grief for all of us and we all handle grief in different ways. But we were especially concerned about Krista, Matt's daughter, who was 10 at the time. Less than two weeks after Matt's funeral, I did something kind of strange. Stranger than usual. (laughs) It was something that didn't make any sense at all. I called Matt's wife, Tammy, and I said, "Tammy." could you use a dresser? Now, the reason this was strange is that I didn't have a spare dresser. And Tammy never said that she needed one. But for some reason, this thought popped into my head to ask her if she needed a dresser. Tammy said, well, sure, I'll use a dresser. Then she says, I'll give my dresser to Krista, and I'll take yours. And I thought... At the time, that was a little odd. Why wouldn't she just give my dresser, that I actually didn't have, to Krista? (laughs) So what do I do? I didn't have a spare dresser. So I emptied Pat's dresser. (laughs) He'll tell you. (laughs) And I put all of his clothes in boxes. (laughs) And I rationalized this because his dresser wasn't part of the set. (laughs) Feeling an urgency to get the dresser down to Tammy's, I called the neighbors to help me carry it three doors down. When we got to Tammy's, she told us, just leave the dresser in the garage until she gets a chance to empty hers. Again, I remember thinking, well, wouldn't it be just easier if she gave this one to Krista? When Pat got home from work that day, he goes to his room to change his clothes, and he notices that his clothes are in boxes. I don't know that if he thought I was kicking him out or something. <laughs> and he's wondering, what's going on here? Why are my clothes in boxes? And where's my dresser? Now, I have to tell you, this was his childhood dresser. He had it forever. <laughs> I didn't have a good explanation for him. (laughs) I just said, I gave it to Tammy. Poor guy, he lost his brother, and then he lost his childhood dresser. (laughs) A couple days later, there was a knock on the door. I opened the door to find Tammy standing on my front porch. In her hand, she had a letter, and she was smiling and she was crying at the same time. And through her tears and her smile, she tells me, as I was emptying the clothes out of the dresser so that I could give my dresser to Krista, in the very bottom of the drawer, underneath the shelf paper, I discovered a letter, a letter that I had never seen before. She had no idea where it came from. Tammy handed me the letter, and this is what I read. This was a letter from Matt to his daughter, Krista, who at the time of Matt's death, in July 1999, was 10 and a half years old. The letter was dated July 1989 which made Krista six months old at the time the letter was written. These are the words that Matt wrote to his daughter and then placed in the bottom drawer of Tammy's dresser under the shelf paper. Dear Krista, I'm writing this letter in hopes for you to have a better understanding. If you're reading this, I am no longer here with you but I am with Jesus. Then he mentions his diagnosis and goes on to say, I am confident that you have grown up to be a beautiful young lady. I know right now we can't be together. The time you spend apart from me here on this earth is only seconds compared to eternity. We will spend together in heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. Right now, you are six months old. Your smile gives me hope to go on when I come home from a long day at work. You are so beautiful, and I love you so much. Stay close to Jesus and keep faith in him, and we will see each other again. As I held that letter, I felt an amazing presence of the Holy Spirit and it was tangible. And I stood there holding that letter in awe of God. For this letter to be revealed in that way was no less of a miracle than if God would've healed Matt. It just wasn't God's will to heal Matt. It was God's will to take Matt to be with him. Pat would often say, Matt won, he got there sooner. That's brothers, right? I believe Matt must have wrote that letter 10 years before his death, prayed over and asked the Lord to protect it and reveal it when needed. And God was right on time. God's timing's perfect. Less than two weeks after Matt's death. As I held that letter in my hand, my eyes were... Matt was really in the presence of Jesus. He was seeing Jesus in all of his glory. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the things God has for those who love him. Matt loved Jesus, and he was receiving his reward for staying faithful to him through it all. Through all the years that Matt was sick, his faith never wavered. The whole event of Matt's death opened my eyes, changed my heart, And to reverse my thinking when it came to living for the here and now versus living for eternity. This life is short. This life is temporary. Even if we live a hundred years compared to eternity, as Matt said in his letter to Krista, it's just seconds. Scripture says life is like a vapor it's here a little and then it's gone. We only have a short time to get our relationship with Jesus right. And we only have a short time to make a difference in this world for him. In Matt's 33 years on this earth, he accomplished much for Jesus. And I think he still is. I always thought it was an interesting nugget that Matt died at the same age that Jesus died. 33 years old. But Jesus didn't stay in the grave. And neither did Matt. And neither will all who make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Living for eternity is contrary thinking for those who want to live for the here and now. Many miss the real Savior. Jesus didn't meet their expectations. He wasn't the king that they were looking for. But they weren't thinking eternally. They weren't thinking spiritually. Jesus clearly said... His kingdom is not of this world. He is the king of kings, and his kingdom will reign forever. And there will be a day when all knees will have to bow to him, even those who crucified him, even those who still reject him today. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 tells us, for this reason, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above all names, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we even imagine? Yes, praise the Lord. Can we even imagine what it would be like for those who rejected him when they see the King of Kings in all his glory and they can't be part of that kingdom? Don't miss what's next. There's a glorious eternal life with Jesus waiting for all of those who believe and live for him. In the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives believing in me will never die. Death in this life isn't the end for those who believe in him. Our faith tells us that something amazing is coming next, a glorious eternity with Jesus Christ. Stay close to him. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Live for him all the days of your life, and there will be a day when you see Jesus face to face in all of his glory.
3: That once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now.
2: They tried to kill him. They tried to get rid of Jesus because he didn't meet their expectations, but death couldn't hold him down. Jesus conquered the grave.
4: would not God has the grave.
2: What does his empty tomb mean for us today? As we look forward to seeing our resurrected King in all of his glory, we can live victorious lives through him. Because the same spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that is resurrecting all who believe in him.
3: That once was crowned with horns Is crowned with glory now The Savior knelt to wash our feet Now at his feet we bow The one who wore our sin and shame now rolled in majesty the radiant of perfect love now shines for all to see your name your name is victory That hell does now gives away to him who is our peace, his final breath upon the cross is now alive in me. Your name
4: Of defeat, the resurrected king is resurrected me by him. I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrected me
3: by your spirit.
4: Body down.
1: a day, a day we can all look forward to when we're together, together in glory and all praise will rise to Christ our King. Oh, you, did, did, you, did, the, did the message of that story sink in a little bit? Did you? I mean, there is a reality to this that we call the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is alive. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. This life is a vapor. This life is a second. What is next? What's next is eternity. And I want to just ask, have you come to terms with that? Have you come to terms with that? What are you expecting? Or are you in some kind of denial? Because... It's true. It is true that there is an next life and it is an eternal life. And there is one choice when Evan was up here talking and he talked about that reverse thinking. And you saw how that line about hell got changed up. And yes, he said, I was deserving of that, but no longer because I'm in Christ. And you can too this morning if you've never, if you've never come to that. If you've never welcomed Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior and King. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior, Son of God, King of Kings. You can welcome him this morning. Or maybe, you, maybe you've just been a little bit neglectful. Maybe you've uh, not been really paying attention as you should. Maybe there was a day that you said, yes, Lord, I believe it, but you've sort of not really let that take root deeply. You need to really commit or recommit. I invite you to do that this morning. I invite you, if you've never laid your heart bare before God, say, I surrender all, and you can give it to him this morning and walk out of here in resurrection power. Or if you need to really just recommit and and tie in tighter with your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, this is the morning to do it. Don't leave here without taking that opportunity Pray with me, if you will. God, our Savior and our Lord, your King of kings, your Lord of lords, you are God Almighty Jesus. And I just ask and pray, Lord, for any heart, any soul here this morning that has a heart lifted up to you, a hand lifted up to you that says, I need you, God. Lord, I pray you would meet that heart. I will pray, Lord, that that the the reality of the the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead would meet that heart this morning, Lord, a heart that can turn from their sin and say, Jesus, I need you to pave my way. I need you to take care of it. You paid the penalty at the cross. You've risen from the dead. You're alive. Forgive me, Lord. Take my sins and let me walk with you, Lord. And God, I just pray too, if there's anyone here who has just turned from you. They've they've known you as a child or they've prayed a prayer, but they've never really let it take root. God, may this be the day that they grab hold of you firmly and never let go. And Lord Jesus, I know, I know when someone reaches out, you reach back. And I thank you for that, Lord. So for any and all in this house that are reaching out to you and you're taking hold of. Thank you, Lord. We commit them to you. We thank you for it. We praise you for it, God. And we just ask that you would continue to be with them in Jesus' name. And now, God, bless all that are here. Bless them, Lord. Bless who all who've come to praise you, all of us who are in Christ. And in Christ alone, thank you, God. Bless your people. Bless them in basket and store. Your hand be upon them as they go, God, to keep them in all their ways and return again to praise you, to lift your name in this, your house of prayer. I ask these mighty blessings, God, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior and our King, amen, amen, amen. (laughs) God bless you. God bless you as you go. And uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, I'm going to go out in the, in the foyer. And if you'd like to meet, I'd
0: love to meet you and get to know you and get your name. God bless you this morning.